0: A Silo, a podcast where three sisters recreate the post movie theater experience. I'm Jessie. I'm Frankie. And this is Annie. To finish out our theme of sisters and film, this week we're talking about the 1987 Danish film Babette's Feast, directed by Gabriel Axel. This film is set in 18th century Denmark, two sisters in an austere Lutheran sect living in a very small, isolated village in the Jutland area in Denmark. They take in a mysterious French woman named Babette. She lives with them for many years as a cook and servant. When she wins a lottery, she spends all of her winnings to make a fantastic, authentic French feast for them.
1: It's such a simple premise for a movie. But they do so much with it.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's actually based on a short story by Isaac Denison, which is the pen name for Karen Blixen, the Danish author. And she actually wrote this as a short story. And the movie is very faithful to the short story. It kind of comes across as more of a fable, right?
1: Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: And it's actually very faithful to the story, except for the story is actually set in Norway. But the film takes place in Denmark.
1: Hmm.
0: Her early life as a young adult was captured in and out of Africa. And then after that, she moved back to Denmark. And then she had syphilis that she contracted from her unfaithful husband. Uh, uh. And it led to her basically not being able to eat for much of her life, to having a really skeletal appearance. But she had this really dynamic personality and she would go on TV interviews and be interviewed. Like people love to to talk to her, which I think is also really interesting that she would write a movie about a feast about food when she herself couldn't eat and could only eat a very limited number of things. Babette's Feast was first printed in Ladies' Home Journal, and then again as part of a short story collection, Anecdotes of Destiny in 1958 which Orson Welles read. And he said that she was his favorite contemporary writer. Really? He adapted one of her short stories called The Immortal Story into a TV movie. And he tried to adapt other stories into movies as well. And in fact, when he died, he was working on an adaptation of The Dreamers. And you can find some of that footage on YouTube. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And Karen Blixen wrote the short story on a bet that she couldn't make a, a short story that would get published in America. And her friend said, you should write about food. Americans are obsessed with food.
1: <laughs> wow, <laughs> it worked. <laughs>
0: yeah, It was actually published in the Ladies' Home Journal in the 1950s. And that's where... The director, Gabriel Axel, his wife, read the short story and suggested that he try to make this film from the short story. But this director, he spent a lot of time in France as a young man, um, even though he was originally Danish. And this is the film that he is best known for, even though he did Mm. upwards of 60 other films and was known for actually doing very uh, sexually explicit films.
1: (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he tried to get the film made over 15 years, but was denied funding. People were like, no one's going to want to watch this. (laughs) But eventually he was able to get it made after Karen Blixen's memoir, Out of Africa, was adapted into a film and it won seven Oscars in
1: 1986 <laughs> that many yeah i didn't realize it was that many oscars that's pretty wild
0: yeah it won best picture best director best
1: adapted screenplay best cinematography that is a movie no one thinks about anymore right like who is out here standing out of
2: africa <laughs> people who love Sidney pollock and meryl Street. they've got to think about it sometimes <laughs> yeah. right yeah sometimes <laughs> So Out of Africa had this
0: amazing success, then Babette's Feast was able to get funding. Babette's Feast went on to win the 1987 Oscar for Best Foreign Language Feature Film. Deserving. Yeah, it was not the favorite to win that year. What else was
1: nominated in that category?
0: Well, everyone assumed would be the winner, which was Auvoir les Enfants, which is about Mm. A boarding school in occupied France in World War II, which I I had to watch a couple times in French (laughs) class in high school. It's from the point of view of this older man reflecting, and he was in a boarding school. Three students were Jewish and were being hidden at the school, were posing Mm -hmm. as Catholic boys. They were eventually all found out. The three boys and the priest who brought them in into the school were taken to Auschwitz and died. Right. So one of the reasons I wanted to pick this movie is because, you know, it, it's a departure from the previous two films that we've talked about because it's not a nostalgia favorite. It doesn't have a really prominent sister dynamic at this heart of the story. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, the sisters are more used as like a storytelling device, as a way to present certain ideas in the film. It doesn't really explore their dynamic as sisters, in my opinion. Mm hmm. So, you know, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm the oldest and I feel like I can do whatever I want. That's why I picked this. <laughs> this is also one of the last movies that we watched together when we were together over the winter break. The first half of the movie, which, to be honest, I was dozing in and out of, mostly because I was tired and, you know, it was the afternoon, you know, but I didn't miss anything. All right. I, I didn't miss anything. <laughs> but it sort of sets up the backstory of these two sisters. They're living in... In this very small, isolated community in northern Denmark, a community that follows pietism, which was a movement within Lutheranism that was about, you know, living a very austere, uh, vigorous Christian lifestyle. And their father was a leader of this small sect. This area of history and religion is really not my area of expertise,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: nor either of yours, but... You know, you don't need to know about the religious history in order to understand that these are very religious people who are denying themselves a lot of earthly bodily pleasures to live a very simple Christian life. Each of the sisters encounters a man from outside of the community that offers them a a way to escape the community, but they reject it. And it's a little bit unclear whether they reject it or their father rejects it on their behalf. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the sisters, Martine, she meets a Swedish cavalry officer, Lorenz Lohenhalium. And, you know, I'm going to say I'm not going to be able to pronounce anyone's name. I'm just not going to.
1: In the Come and See episode, you kept calling him Florian. <laughs> and I didn't correct you because I was like, close enough. <laughs> she couldn't even get Andy Samberg's
2: character name right yeah, in Palm yeah, Springs.
1: I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say, Jesse... Jesse ragged on me for not remembering any names from a league of their own but you're not much better so you know I I'm trying low and low and
0: low and 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 so he sort of joins the the church then he eventually is like I can't compete with this like I can't compete with Christ so I'm I'm gonna remove myself and he says you know what I'm gonna go I'm gonna go live my life I'm gonna try and be like, take the ideas that I've learned here and try to live the best life that I can. Right. But I I can't be here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame him. It seemed miserable. I know. I know. These sisters are also the youngest people in the village by like 30 years. And they're not spring chickens at the end of the movie. These are the only men, eligible men, that they probably ever encounter.
0: (laughs) Right. So then the second sister, Philippa, she has this beautiful operatic voice and an opera star who happens to be visiting this remote village to get some rest. Pope,
1: right? Yes. Pope.
0: Oh, Chia Pepe <laughs> From the Paris opera. And he's trying to get some rest and relaxation, so he comes to remote Jutland.
1: <laughs> I love this guy. This guy's the Frenchest guy. He shows up, and you just expect him to go, Oh, ha. ho. ho. <laughs> I loved him too I love it I love it for him it's great what
0: he he has like is such a round smiling face I kind of imagined it's got a Jack Black energy
2: (laughs) who is a sex
1: symbol all right (laughs) come on (laughs) we love Jack Black
0: (laughs) also Frankie which man in this movie are you gonna call delicious today
1: I don't know, Pop Pan was pretty delicious. Like, that's a guy who, and you're saying he has Jack Black energy, hot. <laughs> I'm thinking erotic.
2: <laughs> Frankie, do you remember the character from all that, the, like, teen, like, Nick and Knight variety show, like, comedy sketch show that Keenan would play and he would play the French guy? Pierre Escargot, Pierre
1: Escargot. Truly, an iconic character.
2: Always saying Zutalon! <laughs> and it's just like all this like French nonsense. And when Papin comes in in this movie, it's like, oh, this is another exaggerated version of a Frenchman. Yeah, this is this guy is a pure as cargo, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so a
0: Papin comes in and he takes Philippa, and he's like, you know what, I can make you into a diva. You will blow them all away in Paris at the opera. Let me train you. Let me take you away. And then they sing, and they sing a a duet from Don Giovanni. The main line from the song is that love will unite us, and it's very uh,
1: steamy, erotic.
0: I mean, I wouldn't—as much as it can get in this movie, sure—
1: I mean, for us, it's a little sanitized, but for her, I feel like it's the sexiest moment of her life. Yes, and that it immediately
0: cuts to her sister, Martine, and the father, who are holding hands and looking very concerned (laughs) in the next room listening to this. Ultimately, the father writes a letter and gives it to Pepe, like, this isn't going to work out, the lessons are going to end. Done. Decades and decades go by, the father dies, the sisters stay there, they give everything they have to this village. They make meals for the people in the village, um, like these really simple, very gross looking foods, this ale and bread, like gruel. And then they bring it around, they feed these people who otherwise would not be able to feed themselves. So uh, they're really living out the, the Christian principle of charity. Over time, the members of the community, they get older, they're all in their 70s or older, and they have all of this conflict in the community. A man and a woman are mad because the the man seduced the woman when she was younger, or another two women are, are mad at each other, these two men fighting because they think that the other guy took advantage of him years ago. It's just
1: decades-long feuds and bitterness.
0: And then one day in 1871 which is a really important year historically because it's in the middle of the Franco-Prussian War during a very short period of time, just a few months in the spring in Paris, when there was a socialist revolution where this movement called the Paris Commune took over the city and tried to enact a very progressive agenda with the end of child labor, uh, women's rights, taking down the aristocracy. And it was squashed pretty quickly and brutally
1: <laughs> yeah brutally yeah brutally
0: this woman babette shows up on the sister's doorstep late at night in september 1871 looking for refuge and she has a letter from who <laughs> and it says you know here's this woman babette her husband and her son were murdered she is trying to escape this uprising and the consequences. Please take her in. I know that you're very generous people, and and that you will do what you can for her. The sisters are like, we don't have anything to pay you, and she's like, look, I will live here for free, please. So they take her on. The letter from Pepe says something to the sister Philippa that reminds her of their brief time together. Your voice will delight the angels, mm. reminding her that. You know, he remembers her voice, and he's sure that she is having a lovely life now. Fourteen years go by. Babette stays with them. And you see her learning to make their gruel and, like, learning and struggling to say the Danish words. (laughs) Oh, I love
1: when she walks in and she can order in Danish. Such a, like, a great moment. I love that little detail, you know?
0: Yeah, they, they show how she, like, is at first struggling to learn what the words and then later is negotiating with the different uh, vendors to get the best deal. And you see the sister's remark that since Bebette has come, we have more money than we ever did before because she's able to stretch the money with the ingredients right. that she's choosing. And you see people who are, and like, this one guy that they that they take soup to and he's like eating the soup and he's like thank you god for bringing us babette because the food tastes so much better (laughs) i mean you see her buy a little bit of sugar and an onion and then all of a sudden the next scene
2: the food is like out of this world those are game changers yeah (laughs) like everyone's quality of life improves yeah (laughs)
0: And then one day you see Babette gets news that she has won the lottery back in France, and she gets 10,000 francs. I, you know, Googled it, what's 10,000 francs in 1871 in U.S. dollars today? (laughs) (laughs) And what Google told me, which I'm just going to go with, was $50,000.
1: Woo! Wow.
0: Which is a lot of money. And the sisters are automatically like, well, you know, I had to come to an end eventually because they automatically assume now that she has the means, she's going to move on. She's going to go live somewhere else. She's going to return to Paris. So the the sisters are planning to celebrate the anniversary of their father's death. And Babette comes to them and she says, you know, I want to cook you an authentic French meal. And they're like, "Okay, yeah, that's great. You know, we weren't going to do a dinner party, but (laughs) fine. We'll accommodate you. Yes. Babette comes back a few days or weeks later, and she has a cage full of live quail. She has a huge sea turtle, all of these cases of wine, all of this food. And the sisters see it, and they're like, what is this? And she's like, this is for the authentic French meal. And the sisters, they immediately panic, but they keep it inside. And they run, and they tell the other village folk, they're like, look, (laughs) this is what's happening— it's totally against all of our morals and everything. We don't know what to do. We weren't expecting it. We apologize that you're going to have to suffer through this meal that's decadent and amoral and all this. And they're like, well, we, we have to go. We have to eat it. We have to go to this dinner. Like, what do we do? And then they decide, well, we'll maintain our moral fortitude as we partake in this decadent meal that goes against everything that we believe in. We just won't talk about it. If we don't acknowledge it, we don't discuss it. That's how we'll stay faithful to God.
2: Right? If they don't have any, like, pleasure in it, then it's not sinful. It's not gluttonous. It's not hedonistic. Yeah, it's kind to Babette to take her gift, to receive her gift, but it's not hedonistic or gluttonous. Exactly. Yep, yep. And
0: they get news that, oh, there will be a 12th dinner party guest. The general, Lohenheim, has come back to town to visit his very, very old aunt, who must be, like, 100 years old now. So he's going to be at the dinner.
1: He's actually the sexiest, I just want to say. I want to I interject here. He's actually the sexiest because the unresolved tension, the delight he takes in the food, it's hot. And the uniform, it's pretty delicious. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so
0: moving on. Uh, <laughs> so then he shows up. They all sit down to this meal, and Babette has set the table with
2: this amazing place setting. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of table that if you were a guest at this dinner, if I were a guest at this dinner and I walked up and saw this table, I would be immediately intimidated, which is actually one of my favorite parts of the actual feast scene, how we watch them learn and observe so each good. other. And and it's it's just like attending any fancy dinner. You just always feel <laughs> intimidated out of your dad's when you're watching everyone else for what are the social norms <laughs> in <Nice>. this situation. <laughs>
1: And the thing about this movie is that up until this point that Jesse's describing, it's good. You know, you get a real sense of the town, the landscape, the culture. But the dinner scene on is exquisite.
0: Yeah, that's when I woke up and was fully (laughs) paying attention.
1: But what's really fun about the dinner scene, actually the whole movie, is that you're watching it. And again, there's not a lot of, you know, action. But you're still kind of thinking, where are they going with this? Mm Mm-hmm. What is, what is the end goal of this movie? What is it really trying to say? And what's fun about the dinner scene is that you slowly see it play out.
0: Right. The dinner scene is where it all comes together. Well, first of all, the General Lohenheim, he becomes the person that they're all looking to as to how do they eat this food. And mm-hmm. when they see that he's enjoying it and he is shocked that they have this amazing food, he can identify the vintage of the wine and he is beyond impressed and once they sort of see that joy that he's taking out of it, they kind of allow themselves to enjoy it as well. And they they kind of want to, even before he gives them permission to, because they are tasting it, they are enjoying it, even the wine. But they really let loose when he sets that example. They start to discuss their feuds and sort of start to, to work them out. And you'd feel like lightening and brightening of the interaction and everyone's smiling at each other for the first time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. The reaction shots of the different people are just really endearing and and comedic almost. It's really, really well done and amazing acting. And we should say that a lot of these actors, they're very, very well known in their respective countries. The townsfolk are played by actors who had appeared in a lot of Carl Dreyer films and Ingmar Bergman films, and they were extremely well-known in Denmark. Okay, so then everyone enjoys the meal, resolve their issues, and then everyone leaves. Lohenheim says goodbye to Martine again, and he says, Every night I shall dine with you, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. For tonight I have learned that all things are possible. The townspeople go outside, link arms around the well in the center of the town, and they sing a hymn as they dance around in a circle, and it's joyous. They unlink hands, and then they all go back to their their houses. And then the sisters go back in, and they say to Babette, this was amazing, we'll, we'll remember this forever when you leave for Paris. Babette reveals to them that she has spent all of her money on this meal, and they are shocked. <laughs> they cannot believe that she spent that much money on this dinner. And Babette's like, I was the chef at the Café Anglaise. A dinner for 12 people there would have easily cost 10,000 francs. Oh, and we should back up and say that Loenheim, as he's eating, he's able to identify what all the foods are. At one point, he's like, this is Cahiers en-, en Sarcophage. I haven't seen this since the Café Anglaise. And there was this amazing yep. woman chef who cooked this. Like, and the, mm-hmm. the townspeople are just like, yes. They just confirm. <laughs> they have no context. <laughs> they don't know. Yep. And they just confirm it. And they're just like, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> and he's like looking at them like, this is normal for you people. right?' <laughs> and it's just fantastic. And he's shocked and amazed. And he tells a story of how he once ate at that restaurant and had the same dish. And the amazing woman chef, head chef at the restaurant, who prepared it. And that's the first time that the audience is clued in. That's who Babette is. Mm -hmm. And then Babette reveals it to the sisters. She reveals, I was the chef at the Café Anglais. And the sisters are shocked. And they said, you know, you shouldn't have given away all you had for our sake. And Babette says, it wasn't just for your sake. Implying that she wanted to cook, like that again, right? Right. And the sisters say, so will you be poor all your life now? And Babat says, an artist is never poor.
1: Oh God. From the scene where, is it Lohenheim, Lohenhelm? When he's leaving, his parting lines.
0: Every night I shall dine with you, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. For tonight I have learned that all things are possible.
1: When he said that, that's when I started crying, and I did not stop until the end (laughs) credits of this movie. Yeah. I don't know what it is but that line. uh, And then when it gets to her, Babette, and she says, an artist is never poor.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, it's so beautiful.
2: But then it's Philippa who gets that, the great final line, repeating... Pepin's line from the letter he'd sent to her with Babette.
0: Philippa says, but this is not the end, Babette. I feel certain this is not the end. In paradise, you will be the great artist God meant for you to be. Then Philippa hugs her and cries. And looking off into the distance, Philippa says, oh, how you will enchant the angels, which is a repeat of the line from Pepin. And then it goes to Black goes to the credits.
1: I'm literally getting goosebumps. Like, I'm covered in goosebumps right now. <laughs> I feel like everything I've read about this movie, most of the people I've heard talk about this movie call it a food movie. Or food is, like, the first thing about this movie that they mention, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, obviously it's important, but for me, the theological framework of the film is the first thing I think of, not the food. I think
0: this has become really well known as Pope Francis's favorite movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And this may be the only movie that has been mentioned in a papal encyclical. Love it. In 2016, he wrote, The most intense joys in life arise when we are able to elicit joys in others as a foretaste of heaven. We can think of the lovely scene in the film Babette's Feast, when the generous cook receives a grateful hug and praise, Oh how you will delight the angels. It is a joy and a great consolation to bring delight to others, to see them enjoying themselves.
1: The- Beautiful. We need to get this guy on this pod.
0: Pope Francis <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yes.
0: <laughs> I just think it's it's really interesting because I feel like Babette kind of undercuts this. You can read this with a very theological lens and you can say, well, Babette is being very Christ-like here. She is a, a Christ-like figure because she is toiling. She's making a huge sacrifice to give this meal to 12 people. And then the 12 dinner, dinner guests are all are in communion while they're eating. And they're all achieving this state of grace. And also, Babette is achieving it by herself she is experiencing something different. She's experiencing the the artistic act of cooking. But it's interesting because that's all kind of undercut by Babette's statement at the end about how she did that for herself. That was to fulfill her artistic need. It's not about sacrificing for other people. I just find those to be two conflicting statements and all of the other things that are talked about in the movie about the sacrifice that the sisters are making and how they're bringing joy to other people, which they will bear the fruits of in heaven. Abed is getting the joy from making that meal, and who knows what reward she will get for that in heaven, but also she is being rewarded in that moment by making that meal. Everything from buying and selecting the food to cooking it and then serving it, those are all things that she was taking pleasure in right there on earth, not in heaven.
1: I don't think that this movie is saying that it's wrong to take pleasure in things like this. I think it's saying the opposite. Yeah. And even though Babette is a Christ-like figure, and that's, I mean, it's its over, right, at the dinner scene, she is not Christ. True. I think this movie is saying you can find holiness and grace in pleasure that's shared in a community through things like food or, you know, like a communal dinner. So I think even though she is finding a reward, is finding pleasure in the act of cooking the food, that's okay. It's, you know, it's this, like, the, the idea of, like, a good work, mm-hmm. right? In Catholicism and other religions. The idea that you achieve salvation through action. So, yeah, she's doing it for her own, you know, pleasure, her own reward, her own salvation in some ways. That doesn't mean that she's sinning or doing anything wrong. Instead, it's, it's, a, it's graceful, right? It's a blessing to the whole community. Does that make sense?
0: But I would argue that she's been blessing the community this whole time by being there and by being able to make these delicious meals that are very, very simple this whole time. You know, for the entire 14 years that she's there, she's been working
2: for the community and that this meal was for her.
1: Right, but that doesn't mean that it's not also selfless.
2: When Philippa says at the end you should not you should not have given away all you had for our sake. Right. And Babette replies, it wasn't just for right. your sake, which implies that partly it is, but that there is a part of her, the her joy comes from giving to others. That's true.
1: Yeah, to do something for the communal good includes oneself in the communal, right?
2: Yeah.
1: I think also what's interesting about this movie, and maybe why it's Pope Francis's favorite movie, or one of them, is that it's also about people of different faiths and belief systems coming together and finding... Grace, you know, in a shared human experience, right? So you have Babette who is Catholic. They call her papist, right? So she's a Catholic. And then you have this group of this isolated Lutheran sect who have a different conception of things like pleasure and decadence and hedonism than she does as a Catholic from Paris. Yeah. And at the end, they are able to find shared salvation it leans more toward a Catholic approach, right? Where it is like this Eucharistic meal, right? And it is this idea that through good works, through beauty and pleasure, you are communing and finding salvation with God.
0: I think that it also does support that a Lutheran view because it does talk about what you are denied on earth, you will be rewarded with in heaven. You know, the story starts with these two sisters who are as young women, give up something. One gives up love, and the other gives up an opportunity to explore her artistic, to fulfill her artistic desires. And then those both come back to them in the context of the film, because it's Pepin who brings Babette to them, and then it's Lohenheim who shows up for the meal and is able to give everyone context and permission to enjoy it. And Lohenheim you know, when he leaves Martine and he says, you know, we will dine in the spirit, it sort of goes back to what they were saying and what someone says at dinner, which is that the only things we take with us from our life on earth are those we have given away. Our, our dear sisters will be rich in the next life. Yes. And so there's that sense when they're meeting together and it's just Martine and Lohenheim saying goodbye at the at the end of the movie. And he says, Every night I shall die with you, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And you kind of get that feeling, not of that had been throughout the movie a little bit of a loss, like an absence of yes. that kind of love for her. Um, you sort of get the feeling that she knows that she will be rewarded with that in, in the afterlife.
1: That's beautifully put, Jesse. That's beautifully put.
0: And then when Philippa is hugging Babette and Philippa says, Oh, how you will enchant the angels. Yeah. I read that as Philippa acknowledging the loss of her creative outlet, like her missed opportunity. Yes. But that she will be rewarded in the next life, that it's okay that she wasn't able to fully realize that dream. And that, that the same is true for Bebette as well.
2: Yeah. Well this reminded me of two things. The idea of giving things away as part of your joy and as part of your, your art and creating things for others reminds me of ratatouille <laughs> when remi says that he wants to cook because humans cook and that the difference between him and the humans is that humans don't just take things like they make things through cooking but it also reminds me of dolly levi in hello dolly mm-hmm yeah like the thing that her deceased husband used to say, right? If you have all this money, you gotta spread it around like manure. Yep. That's right. Yep, that's right. Yeah, you know, spread it around like manure. And it's like if you have these gifts, like share them. I don't know, there are like plenty of ways <laughs> that can appear in other things, but I think that is a huge part of the transformation of this group of people. You know, Babette's triumph in this feast is that she kind of transforms this group of people and this community from one full of discord. And that by the end of her sharing her gifts, that they reach a communion. Yeah. She spreads her art around like manure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, but this is really a bittersweet story. Yeah. it's That's why you cry at the end. You don't cry because... I mean, and I know Pope Francis says it's joy at the end I see it as bittersweet not as joy but that is also because I'm coming at it from a different like sort of spiritual or theological perspective Pope Francis is reading into it exactly what you're saying Jesse which is that the next life or the afterlife is promised but if you're not seeing it that way it's very bittersweet because they're foregoing being present in the hopes of you know this afterlife and I think what Babette is doing with this feast is saying you can't entirely do that. You have to take pleasure in the present, in the human, in the the
2: tangible as well. Right, but, and that goes to what the general, Lowenheim when he reflects on having eaten at the C- Café Anglaise in the past and how he's a, he knows what all of these dishes are, and he recalls what the general at that meal had said about Babette's cooking. She, he had said she had a talent to turn a dinner into a love affair.
1: Yes. A love
2: affair that made no distinction between the bodily appetite and the spiritual appetite.
1: Oh my gosh. Mm. That is exactly, I think that's the thesis of the movie.
2: <laughs> right there. Right? Talent, love, the imminent, the transcendent, how spiritualized all of this is. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: But that brings up an interesting point, the politics and the history that run through this movie Mm. that are never explicitly discussed. That's true. That general, General Gallifay, was named by Lohenheim, is also named at another point in the movie. At the beginning, when we get a little bit of the story about why Babette is there, because her husband and her son were killed by General Gallifay. Oh. (gasps) Oh, Right. And that he is a real historical figure who was infamous for putting down the Paris Commune of 1871, the one that Babette is fleeing. Oh, man. And this is another departure from the short story, that the politics of why Babette is even there are actually discussed at the end in the short okay. story. But they're there for us in the movie If we want to pick them out. Right. Because we learned that Babette was the head chef at the Café Anglais, which was a very, very real fancy restaurant in Paris that would have served the aristocracy. Those would have been the only people who could afford to eat there. Right. And Babette and her family clearly were part of the Paris Commune, were clearly progressives who wanted to overthrow the aristocracy and create more opportunities in a more egalitarian community. Another aspect to putting down the Paris Commune was that supply lines were cut off and the people of Paris starved.
1: So Babette was, her son was a part of the Paris Commune.
0: And her, and her husband.
1: Okay. So in that sense... This dinner is, I mean, that really does add depth. The, what is it? The quail, the Mm sarcophage dish. I mean, it's so decadent.
2: It's literally a quail filled with black truffle and foie gras served in a puff pastry with fig sauce.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It is like almost manufactured to be the wildest, (laughs) like most expensive dish. And yet they enjoy it, right? There's, it's not about how... Decadent, it really is. It's about just the shared moment of of eating it together, right? And how it brings people together. It heals wounds. It creates space for them to to talk about past issues and their relationships in the community. Then, on a very basic level, it's tasty. Like they enjoy it, and it's really fun to watch these people, these villagers, drink wine. Yeah, be like, oh wow, this is pretty good, actually. You know, this is good. And in us and in, in eating things that in Paris, they never would have had the opportunity to eat. Yeah.
0: And So after that scene, when when they get that dish and they're trying to learn how to, to eat it and they look to Lohenheim, who knows that he should take the head of the quail and suck the brain out because that's a delicacy. Right. Right. And then you see him like spoon the fig sauce and and eat it. And they also, you see then the <laughs> the other side of the table in unison doing the same thing and enjoying it. And then you see different actors smiling at each, to each other as they're eating the food and taking it in and then smiling. Yes. And then one woman who's been uh, very grumpy throughout the entire movie, <laughs> she quotes the pastor um, with some of their religious adages that he would say a lot and she says man shall not merely refrain from but also renounce any thought of food and drink only then can he eat and drink in the right spirit and then she smiles and she drinks some wine
1: (laughs) (laughs) What, what i love about this is that it's not just the villagers learning to enjoy the everyday like learning to enjoy earthly pleasure and in, in a graceful way, like in a way that is not hedonistic, but it's also about this man who just loves the food. And he's telling them the, you know, anecdotes about when he's had it before or how fancy it is. And he appreciates that. But at the end of the day, he just loves the food. You know, it's not about eating it surrounded by the, the bourgeoisie in Paris in the Café Anglais. It's about the food and sharing it with people for him as
2: well right
1: and i just love i love the nuance of that
2: i love imagining pope francis watching this
1: yes did either of you watch the two popes the scenes where Fra- pope francis and pope benedict go and they get like the dollar slice and the f- orange fanta <laughs> from across the the street from the vatican isn't that also an example of this i just love those scenes in the two popes they're my favorites because Francis is like, this is what this guy likes to eat, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's a little odd at first, but at the end of the day, it's about breaking bread with someone.
2: Mm. Guys, do you think that Pope Francis has ever had quail and saccovage, that someone for his birthday like tried to recreate Babette's feast for him? Maybe. Because that's something like I would totally do if I were friends with Pope Francis. <laughs> I, I
0: saw an interview with the actress who plays Babette, and her name is Stéphane Audrin. She said that in celebrating their Oscar nomination and their Oscar win, when they went around America and they were being celebrated at different events, they had the opportunity to to be served this feast recreated by different chefs. Wow. <laughs> and she was basically like, you know, the Americans, they know how to do it right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's great.
2: One thing that I think they accomplished really well in this movie is how they aestheticize the eating. Yes. Because watching people eat is not my favorite thing. I generally dislike it. If it were me today,
0: there would be so much focus on the preparation of the food, because that's what we've come, mm. like modern audiences yes. have come to really enjoy. But we don't really see that. We we get some kitchen scenes, but that's really not the focus. And even then, shots of the actual food itself are very, very brief, What's really highlighted is people's reaction to the food.
1: Seeing how these people reacted to seeing all of this different fruit. What I like is that they just eat it. (laughs) They're just like curious and they just eat it. And there's no complaining, you know, at that point when the fruit comes out. They're just kind of, what is this? I'll just try this. Why not? (laughs) And I love that attitude, right? Yeah. They allow themselves to be curious.
2: Well, it's because they trust Babette. Yeah after she's served them
0: yeah, food for yeah. so long. Babette never sees them enjoying the food. She never enters the dining room. She knows that they're enjoying it, but she never gets an applause. She never gets like a direct interaction with the diners, which is also something that I think I'm like a celebrity chef today would expect.
1: But you know, she got great reactions from her gophers. Like the the (laughs) two men, boys who were like running back and forth and serving. Yeah. Right? Because they were sampling things.
0: For the production of the movie, they hired a real chef who was familiar with the 18th century French recipes so that he could actually make them. The diners were actually served this menu that he developed. Mm. Everything was real except for the turtle stew. That was some other kind of soup. But they really wanted it to be like authentic reactions. And especially for Babette, the actress wanted to be drinking a fine wine so that when she has that satisfied look on her face, it is real.
1: Good for her. (laughs) Love that.
0: And then she also worked on the hair and the costume for the character.
1: She looked great.
0: The costumes were designed by Karl Lagerfeld.
1: No. Yeah. Really? They weren't. They weren't that good. I actually commented when we watched it. I was like, all of these like 70s, seventies, nineteen eighties European period pieces all look cheap. <laughs> <laughs> like the costumes look cheap. The military uniform to me looked cheap. The buttons looked fake. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. The sisters, their costumes were good. And appropriate. (laughs) Simple. You could tell it was like a linen, right? It made sense. (laughs) Historically appropriate. But the men's costumes look cheap. All right. So, going back to this idea of if this was made today, they are remaking this movie. Yes, right. Alexander Payne is directing a remake of this movie that's supposed to be set in Minnesota. it's supposed to be about a refugee who these two sisters in Minnesota take in. And I guess it's the same idea where the refugee will make them a meal and they have to confront their life and faith. How do we feel about that?
2: (laughs) Well, Alexander Payne did what he did
1: sideways. The Descendants, Nebraska.
2: Oh, Nebraska. I love Nebraska. I could see him handling this. Well, if it's in Minnesota. I feel like so much of what I like about Babette's feast is seeing this landscape, like the setting is just so crucial to the story. And I think that Alexander Payne will do a good Mm -hmm. job infusing the setting into the the film.
0: So if it's a refugee in Minnesota, does that mean that it's a refugee from Somalia? There are a huge refugee population from Somalia lives in Minnesota. So what is that going to mean about the kind of food that the refugee is cooking. It's not going to be, it's going to be flavors that are really, really foreign to Minnesotans. You know, French cuisine is so decadent and has become so well known in particularly American food culture. Sure. For these Lutherans in 1800s (laughs) Denmark, that real French meal was as foreign as a Somali feast would be. Sure. Sure. Yeah. To, to Minnesotans.
1: I think there's potential for a good re-envisioning of this story, but I'm also very hesitant about remakes of foreign films because I feel like so often Americans are very hesitant to watch films with subtitles or in other languages. And my take is just watch the movie <laughs> with subtitles.
2: But this sounds like it's going to be an update. It's not just a remake. Yes. right? It's, it's an update on a period piece.
1: Yes, and that's why I'm saying like I think it'll I think there's potential for it to be good, but I'm still always a little hesitant.
0: I agree. Like, what is it? I mean, I think that this is such an interesting story. It's got such inter- like great themes that are universal. Yeah, and that the concept of all of these things coming together and all these people coming together over a meal that can be applied yes to anywhere and be really interesting. And I think it will get something different from that setup will we'll come out of it because it's in a different setting. It's not going to play with the same ideas of Catholicism and Lutheranism. And <laughs> right, right. It's going to have a completely different context. I think it will be quite interesting. I'm excited to see.
1: Yeah, I think what's cool about doing a, an update of a movie like this is that it, the update, it sounds like it's going to be pretty different in, in significant ways. And that will allow people to enjoy that film and also discover Babette's Feast. And you can have both. But this movie is now, it's, you know, from 1987. It does feel a little dusty. I really liked it, but it's a little dusty. (laughs) And it's slow. And I think that what is nice about updating movies like this is that you can enjoy a remake or an update and go back and enjoy the original.
0: You know, I kind of want to talk about this, the idea of this story as like a fable. That it's not designed to capture anything real but it's set in a real time a real time and place real historical context but it's also she also takes a lot of liberties like so the cafe anglaise was a real restaurant but there's no way that a woman would have been a chef there chefs and cooking had become professionalized and was part of the guild system in france so in order to be a chef you needed to start as an apprentice as a young man there's no way that a woman would have ever been given that opportunity You know, I think that Babette being a woman works because she has to be with these two sisters. And these two sisters, you can't have a man living with these two sisters without it being weird. Right. Right. And the two sisters, they need to be two sisters because they need to come up in the same context, the same family, the same experience. And then they're the same device in the storytelling where they have to give up something and then live and continue on in this community. But there needs to be two of them, because you need to have the love and the artistic experience thwarted. What do you think of that? Like these women being used in different roles in order to tell a story, even though it's not historically correct.
2: Hmm. I also think that the women lack agency in a lot of ways. Yeah, That the setting really deprives them of... Not only this the physical setting, but the religious setting, and that their father is a religious leader, right that it becomes even less likely that they would have left, that they would have experience beyond this town, that to have these two men kind of drift into the town and expand their worldview. You know if they were men, it kind of complicates whether or not they would have actually left, yeah how women would just kind of pop into the town and then leave. Right. I think that having them as women and the control and agency that each of them has and the limitations on them. Right. I think is kind of crucial to the plot. Agreed. But I find I find it very satisfying, Jesse, like that you're framing the idea of these two sisters, one as love thwarted, one as an artistic career thwarted, and that both of those culminate in Babette. The way she expresses her love is through her art, which is food. And to have all of that wrapped up so neatly is like that these two women take her in and that they support each other and that Babette enhances the way that they can serve their community. Mm, mm -hmm. That Babette's love in this fable, the things that she gains by winning the lottery is her ability to show her love and her art once again in one grand finale. Mm-hmm. The two older women lost so much of their chance to show that type of love before and that they get to have these final moments of experiencing it once again or calling out to it once again and having that memory that it's not a regret. Yeah, They get to experience their art and their love all together with Babette. And that's kind of the fable is like, bringing it all together in the end. But despite all these limitations on them, we get one great final feast.
0: That's great. I think that's a wrap. Yeah.
2: Should we go on to recommendations? <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure.
0: I'll go first. Um, so I'm gonna recommend a food series on YouTube called Binging with Babish. Yes. Where Andrew Rea, he takes on this persona of Oliver Babish and he has a series where he recreates food that you see in films and TV. He does Calle and Sacrofage on there, and it's incredibly expensive and delicious. Um, but he does everything, like uh, ZD from The Sopranos, uh, Meatball Sub from 30 Rock. Garfield's lasagna. <laughs> right. It's just, it's fun. It's fun with food, and you get a lot of things that you don't get from Babette's Feast, which is the making of the food. And, um, you know, there are a lot of YouTube series that feature chefs making food, so I encourage you to check them out because they are fun.
2: (laughs) My recommendation is another uh, food movie that Babish has also recreated. I'm going to recommend the 1996 film Big Night starring tony shalhoub and stanley tucci (laughs) as two italian brothers who moved to new jersey in the 1950s and open up a restaurant and tony shalhoub just wants to be able to you know make his cuisine his gourmet italian food but all the customers want americanized italian food And so they're not doing very well. And it's the struggle of these two brothers where Tony Shalhoub wants to stay true to his craft and his art. And Stanley Tucci wants to have success in America and is willing to Americanize the food more than Hmm. his brother. The movie culminates in a huge dinner and the the cast is amazing. It's like Alice and Janney and Minnie Driver and Isabella Rossellini. Like, it's kind of, you're watching it and you kind of recognize everybody coming through in a way I imagine a Danish person would have recognized all the people nice. in that Feast. Yeah. And you have like two brothers at the center in the way that you have two sisters um, and Tony Shalhoub's character tells Allison Janney that when he cooks, he feels closer to God. Oh. Got some elements of things that we talked about today. So if you liked these things and you also want a laugh and Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub, how are you going to go wrong? 1996, big night.
1: Stanley Tucci is coming out with a memoir called Taste My Life Through Food later this year. So...
2: Have you seen the video of him making a Negroni? Yes, his arms. Yeah, I've seen his arms. Delicious.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Frankie, take us away.
1: Okay, my recommendation is the 2019 film Corpus Christi. It's a Polish movie directed by Jan Komasa. It's about a young man in Poland who is released from prison. And on his way to his work release, he basically stumbles into a church and ends up posing as the priest of this town. And the reason I recommend this movie after watching Babette's Feast is that I think Corpus Christi gives insight into the way that religious communities and religion function differently in different cultures and in small towns and villages in particular. So this movie really plays with and, and shows the different dynamics of religion Authority and faith in a small European village. It's a different context. It's you know, it's a Catholic uh, church in a small Polish village. But I think if you're interested in those issues of faith, grace, redemption, salvation, this is a great movie to explore those as well. After Babette's Feast,
0: is there food in it? Do they make pierogi in in the movie?
1: (laughs) I don't think there's really food in this.
0: Okay, well, thank you everyone for listening to our podcast. That concludes our series on the theme of sisters. Next week, we're going to bring you another free reel-in episode. So if you want to write in with any comments about any of the movies that we've talked about so far, um, we'll discuss them in that episode. So please email us at cinemasilopod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cinema silo pod or check out our website at cinemasilopod.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time in the silo.